Last time we spoke about the major planning leading to a thrust into the Central Pacific and General Kenny's neutralization efforts of the Ley area. Admiral Nimitz and Douglas MacArthur had been battling it out for a long time leading, finally, to some concrete plans for twin campaigns. One in the Central Pacific and one in the South and Southwest Pacific. Countless meetings, deals, and minds were put to work trying to figure out how to prepare for the gradual advance towards the Japanese home islands. To finally make some waves into the Central Pacific, it was to be the Elise Islands, the Gilbert Islands, and Nauru as the first objectives. Meanwhile in New Guinea, the advance upon Salamau and Ley raged on. But to really break them, first air supremacy was required. Kenny unleashed a massive campaign with some innovative new toys completely desolating Wewak's air power. This episode is Mopping Up in New Georgia. Welcome back to the Pacific War Podcast week by week, and I'm your dutiful host, Craig Watson. But before we can begin, I just want to remind you all, this podcast is only made possible through the efforts of Kings and Generals over at YouTube. Perhaps you want to learn a bit more about World War II? Kings and Generals has an assortment of episodes on World War II and so much more, so go give them a look over at YouTube. So please, subscribe to Kings and Generals over at YouTube and continue to help us produce this content by checking out www.patreon.com slash kingsandgenerals. And hey, don't forget about our sister podcast over at the Age of Conquest, The Fall and Rise of China podcast, written and narrated by me. And if after all that you were still hungry for some more history, why don't you check out my personal channel, The Pacific War Channel, over at YouTube. Want something on a bit more of the weird side? Check out my episode on the Ramri Island Massacre Myth, where allegedly thousands of Japanese were eaten by saltwater crocodiles. It's not actually true. Also, don't forget to check out my Patreon account over at www.patreon.com slash thepacificwarchannel where you can find exclusive podcasts. Over there, you get to pick and vote on the next exclusive podcast subject. And it doesn't have to be the Pacific War. It can be just about anything. So check it out. New Georgia was falling apart for the Japanese. When Mundo was seized, it spelled doom. General Sasaki ordered his forces to withdraw to places like Banga Islands after fighting a series of desperate holding operations against the forces of General Griswold. Again, the seizure of Munda was a colossal undertaking. The Americans had tossed 30,000 troops to overcome 5,000 Japanese defenders. The Americans lost 1,136 of said troops and the Japanese around 1,500. The Japanese managed this type of bulwark defenses by building up a network of entrenchment systems around Munda Point. The U.S. air supremacy over New Georgia gave them little advantage because the island was simply too dense in vegetation to properly spot enemy positions. Rear Admiral Turner likewise learned a valuable lesson that no matter how many transport boats were tossed into an invasion plan, more would always be needed. These lessons led to some radical rethinking of strategy going forward for future operations, like in the Central Pacific. Admiral Ota used his fleet of barges to move five to eight in a group, every night. Colonel Tomanati's 13th Regiment and Sasuke's HQ were moved to Villa in an effort to reinforce what would be the new main Japanese outpost in the Central Pacific. Further north, the Americans successfully invaded Vela La Vela, completely bypassing Kolombangara and thus cutting off the enemy's supply line. In response to this, Admiral Samajima established a bar staging base at Horanu. 
Semajima then advised Sasaki to simply proceed with the course of action he thought best. Sasaki decided to do what he had been arguing for some time now, to concentrate all of his forces at Kolombangara. However, with Zita in the hands of the Americans, he would have to figure out a clever way to carry out the logistics of such a plan. Thus, he split his forces in two, taking up positions at Barocco and Banga. Oda was given the task of evacuating the northern forces at Barocco using his barge fleet. But the men to the south in Banga were going to perform a fighting withdrawal of both Banga and Arundel. Luckily for the Japanese, the 27th Regiment had bypassed the Yano Battalion in Banga to advance upon the Piru Plantation and the Sunday Inlet. The forces at Banga would be facing against the landings of three battalions, the 2nd and 3rd Battalion's 169th Regiment and the 3rd Battalion of the 172nd Regiment led by General Barker. While Barker was getting his men to the assembly positions, the Yokozuka 7's 12cm guns and two mountain guns began to fire upon Munda Field. This caused only slight damage with some casualties, but it was a nuisance nonetheless. On August the 16th, Barker's 136 field artillery battalion's positions at Munda began to counterfire against the Yokozuka guns. This was followed up by aerial attacks by 13 Avengers and 17 Dauntless who performed carpet bombing. For those of you who don't know, this is the practice of bombing over a large area simultaneously. So, try to imagine hitting a kilometer area of vegetation by spreading your aircraft and timing everything just right. It produces what looks like a carpet of bombs hitting. So when you take a carpet and you toss it over your floor, that was kind of the mental image received by this maneuver. The results were devastating. The Okuzuka 7th guns would never fire again. Meanwhile, the recently landed 2nd Battalion 169th Regiment faced the strongest pocket of the Japanese as they attempted pushing the defenders further west. The 3rd Battalion 172nd Regiment would eventually join in on this attack. When the 2nd Battalion was showing signs of slow progress, Barker decided to toss the 172nd in on August 18th. But the fiercest fighting would be seen between the 3rd Battalion 23rd Regiment, who continued to resist against Barker's four battalions as Sasaki's men were crossing over to Banga and Arundel. On August the 19th, the 1st Battalion finally managed to break through to the southwest coast, where they came across the now-abandoned 12cm guns of the anime. During the night, the 3rd Battalion, 23rd Regiment, had slipped through a swamp, making their way north to join their fleeing comrades over in Arundel. By nightfall of the next day, all had successfully gone over. The cost of mopping up Banga, as recorded by the 169th, was 44 dead, 74 wounded, and 300 non-battle casualties. The ever-present dangers of tropical island warfare. For the 172nd records, it was 8 dead, 36 wounded, and nearly 200 men requiring evacuation from tropical diseases. For the Japanese, there was no estimation or rough counts for casualties. Such dire numbers would see General Wing replace Barker as commander of the 43rd Division, effective as of August the 20th. Now, Admiral Halsey also wanted to see Arundel seized, as it had become a bit of an important position. But the Allies did not realize the amount of forces that had been snuck onto that small island. Meanwhile, the 25th Division continued their advance north through painfully rough swamp terrain, pursuing a rather elusive enemy. As the regiments advanced, bulldozers of the 65th Engineer Battalion tried to build jeep trails behind them. However, the rain was so bad, they became a nasty type of tropical mud, and the bulldozers were struggling through it. 
Thus, the supplies would have to be carried onwards to the front by hand, typically on the backs of men, or occasionally via airdrops. By mid-August, the 161st Regiment would finally reach the rendezvous point at Mount Bao, where General Collins planned to have them turn west to secure an artillery position at Mount Tirokiambo. Once the artillery was set up, it could support an assault on Barocco. Barocco would be hit from the west by the 3rd Battalion, 145th Regiment of Colonel Dalton, and then from the east by the 1st Battalion, 27th Regiment of Colonel Liversedge. But Mother Nature be cruel and she placed some impassable swamps, preventing the 140th Field Artillery Battalion from reaching Mount Tirokiambo. On August 21st, the Marine Defense Battalion tractors had pulled up some 155 millimeters of the 136th Field Artillery Battalion over some soft road to get into position on Zeta Hill. However, this took too long, and while it was occurring, the Japanese had successfully evacuated Barocco. Admiral Oda's fleet of barges had been running to Barocco every night under the cover of darkness, and the cover of some guns placed on Colombangera that fired upon USPT boats trying to harass the barges. American intelligence believed all of this activity was actually reinforcing Barocco, thus they planned for a daylight raid to hit the barges in their bases. Rendova launched some PT boats, the 15th Corps lent some demolition teams of the 117th Engineer Battalion, and the NGAF provided fighter cover. The raid failed, and the boats were forced to retreat. On August 23rd, Dalton and Liversedge's men entered Barocco to find it completely deserted. And on that very same day, the 27th Regiment arrived to the Piru Plantation after slogging through some swamps, prompting Collins to remark, Crossing the swamp was the toughest physical test I underwent during the war. On August 23rd, Samajima sent some new orders to Sasaki, instructing him to hold the gizo kolombangera arundel line and to wait until a proper evacuation date was set. Sasaki sent the first company of Major Kinoshita Seishu to occupy some high grounds on the western part of Arundel, and the fourth company of 1st Lieutenant Ito Saburo at the base of the Stima Peninsula on its northeast coast. On August 25th, Oda's barges were continuing to run nightly runs to Arundel, bringing the 6th and 7th companies of Major Yamada Taichi over to Villa. By late August, most of the other units arrived to Villa, with the Kure's 6th SNLF taking the task of defending Kolombangara's western coast, and the 229th Regiment were deployed at Membara Harbor to protect its eastern coast. In addition, Captain Miyazuki Toshio departed Rabaul with three destroyers, the Hamaikaze, the Shigure, and the Izokaze, to evacuate men at Rakata Bay back on August the 22nd. However, they were harassed by a PBY around Bougainville, and realizing the Americans might toss a naval mission against them, they were forced to abort. Another evacuation run was attempted three days later, seeing Admiral Ijun leading light cruiser Sendai and two destroyers to escort Captain Toshio's group. The diversion was discovered by an Australian coast watcher, and soon Toshio was intercepted by 10 PBYs around Bougainville. The Hamakazi's forecastle was hit by a bomb that caused 36 casualties again. They were forced to abort. Two days after this, light cruiser Sendai and the destroyer Susanami finally broke through to Rakata Bay. They managed to grab most of the troops there. To grab the rest of the troops, six flying boats and a submarine were sent over. Detachments of the Curie 7th SNLF would be landed at Sumba Head and Samba Head over on Choisel, who would work to establish new staging bases for the rest of the troops being brought over back to Bun. 
Over in Hirano, the Japanese were constructing a new barge depot. Admiral Wilkinson's third echelon, led by Captain Grayson Carter, consisting of two LSTs and the destroyers Philip and Waller, were sent over to Barracoma on August the 20th. They were intercepted by enemy planes in the Gizo Strait, which saw Philip collide into Waller, providing some slight damage. The last convoys of the month would manage to unload at Barracoma under excellent weather and good air cover. Altogether, Wilkinson's landed 6,505 men, 1,097 tons of rations, 843 tons of petroleum, 2,247 tons of ammunition, and 2,528 tons of vehicles. By September the 27th, the field would be fully operational. The Americans also managed to construct an airfield at Ondonga, giving General Wing further support to mop up on Arundel. On August the 29th, the 2nd Battalion of the 172nd Regiment were moving to the eastern coast while the 1st Battalion moved west. Both had to advance over mangroves and hard coral shorelines because the interior was far too dense with underbrush. Meanwhile, over on Vela La Vela, Wilkinson's turned command over to General Griswold on September the 3rd. The Americans expected no resistance as they planned to occupy the entire island. Admiral Halsey gave the task to Major General Harold Barrowclout's 3rd New Zealand Division, who were scheduled to arrive in mid-September. But in the meantime, Griswold landed the 1st Battalion of the 145th Regiment at Barracoma to allow Major Delbert Munson's 1st Battalion, 35th Regiment, to advance up the eastern coast to secure the Kokolope Bay area, where the Americans wanted to set up a new radar site. Munson's men made good progress as they reached Lambulambu Cove by September the 4th. From there, they dispatched companies A and C with some Fijian commandos to patrol. The patrols got to Boko's mission, where A Company ran suddenly into a strong Japanese patrol. A firefight broke out, taking the lives of over 12 Japanese. The men examined the bodies and their equipment and sent word back that they were facing recently landed enemy forces. The next morning, the 4th Company of the Mikami Battalion assaulted A Company, who were dug in at the Boko mission. A Company managed to fight them off, but had two deaths and two wounded in the process. Because of the attacks, General McClure sent forward his 3rd Battalion, followed up by units of the 64th Field Artillery Battalion. The artillerymen took up a position at Ruave to support the advance. At the same time, Munson's men cleared up the Boko mission area, allowing for supplies to come over to it by boat. Munson then directed his forces to hit the main Japanese defenses at Bakabaka. As the men advanced, they faced a steep ridge holding Japanese machine gun nests, which greatly hindered their progress. Meanwhile, on September the 5th, the 2nd Battalion, 172nd Regiment, discovered the main enemy positions at Arandal, while the 1st Battalion was landing at Bustling Point, trying to secure a forward artillery position. The 1st Battalion would then occupy the tip of Bombo Peninsula. The Japanese units, meanwhile, were reporting great success in their efforts and also requested that they be allowed to assault the enemy artillery at Puro Plantation. On the last day of August, the 9th Defense Battalion's 155mm guns at Puro Plantation had begun opening fire on Kolombangara. They also dropped some leaflets upon the Japanese at Villa, describing the agonizing death their artillery would provide them, cheekily. The leaflets read, Ask the survivors from the 229th what it was like on Bukandan Hill. The next morning, Takabayashi told the 3rd Battalion, 
Enemy shelling and firing will be intensified in the future. Any rambling activity must be avoided and everyone must always be on full alert. All of this prompted Sasaki to order a counterattack. At around midnight on September the 9th, Takabayashi's 3rd Battalion, 13th Regiment, aided by a platoon of the 6th Engineers, snuck across the Blackett Strait using barges to Sajikarasa Island. Their orders were to drive the enemy out of northern Arundel. Just a few hours later, Griswold ordered Colonel Suggs' 27th Regiment to Bombo Village to attack from the west. Suggs' men began their advance on September the 12th, and his 3rd Battalion forded the Bamboa Lagoon to seize Sagakarasa Island, effectively cutting off the 13th Regiment. The Japanese were taken by complete surprise, and they began counterattacking with Takabayashi from the west and Ito from the east, but the Americans held on. Further south, Sug's 2nd Battalion ran into the Japanese main position, meeting heavy gun fire. Additionally, the 1st Battalion 169th Regiment began an occupation of Fringe Island, and the 82nd Chemical Battalion began deploying their 4.2-inch motors at Bamboa to prepare a killing field for the Japanese at Seifkarasa. From their positions on Fringe Island, the Americans were able to observe and track the Japanese barges with moonlight seeing them depart Villa and approaching the landing area. This provided Sugs the perfect amount of information to launch a deadly accurate motor bombardment. The preceding bombardment took countless lives, including the 3rd Battalion's commander, Takabayashi. On the night of September the 15th, Colonel Tomenari brought his HQ across, and 10 minutes later, while he was sitting on a log listening to a company commander's report, he was killed instantaneously by a motor shell that landed right at his feet. Kinoshida took temporary command of the 13th Regiment, and three days later, Colonel Muta Toyochi would become the new 13th Regiment commander. On that same day, the Americans attacked the main Japanese position, but they were beaten back. Griswold responded by bringing forward the 1st Battalion, 27th Regiment, from Inugai, with five Marine tanks of the 11th Defense Battalion the following afternoon. On September the 17th, the tanks charged forward with three rifle companies lined abreast behind them. Artillery and mortar concentrated upon Kinoshita's position, shocking the Japanese and forcing them to pull back. However, the following day, the Japanese had quickly learned their lesson, and they came back with anti-tank guns. They knocked out two tanks before pulling back to the Steam Peninsula. After two more days, the Japanese began evacuating Arundel. During the night, the 3rd Battalion evacuated under some heavy mortar and artillery fire while the Okuzuka 7th guns covered them. The following night, barges grabbed the 1st Battalion troops, bringing the Battle of Arundel to a close. For Colonel Muta Toyoji's 13th Regiment, the fight for Arundel was a costly endeavor. They had suffered 243 killed, 363 wounded, including many officers. For the Americans, it was 31 dead and 225 wounded. Back on September the 10th, McClure's batteries began arriving at Lambu Lambu, and as soon as they were put into position, they began firing against the Japanese. You see, during one of the fights between the Japanese and Munson's forces, a dead Japanese officer was found to be carrying a sketch map of the Japanese positions at Horanu. Captain John Burden translated the Japanese sketch onto their maps and added details from other patrols' reports. This gave A and C batteries an incredibly accurate firing grid that proved to be quite deadly. The concentration of fire was so accurate, the Japanese were forced to abandon their positions almost immediately. When troops later came to the area, they would find dugouts, 
that had suffered direct shell hits with corpses still holding picks and shovels in their hands. The Japanese realized the American gunners knew exactly where they were located, so they had made a panicked withdrawal to the northwest coast. On September the 14th, Muntz had finally unleashed an attack upon Arano, only to find the dugouts completely empty. Fijian commandos were sent to pursue the fleeing Japanese as the 1st Battalion moved back to Lambalambu, and the 3rd Battalion occupied Hirano. The New Zealanders would take over the fight for Vela La Vela, but now we need to venture back over to Green Hell. With the loss of Mubo and Lababia Ridge, General Nakano was forced to establish a rough arc of defensive positions in the heavily timbered ground from Bobdabi on the south bank of the Francisco River through Comantin Village to the Tambu Peninsula on the coast. Nikano had risen to the bait of General Blamey, who had hoped he would, and he poured more men into an area in order to defend Selamawa, from which he believed to be the actual Allied goal. Nikano reinforced the area with the 3rd Battalion 238th Regiment and the 3rd Battalion 21st Regiment, who had just been stationed at Lei. The key position in the Japanese line was Charlie Hill. The new Japanese defensive line ran east along the Yamada-Yama, known to the Allies as Scout Ridge, to the coast of Locano and north over the Francisco River along the ridges of Rough Hill, Arnold's Crest, Kidney Hill, and the coast near Malolo. Charlie Hill held four perimeters. Below ground, the Japanese constructed an intricate tunnel system to protect them and their supplies from bombardments. The entrance shafts had vine-covered ladders that went down some six meters. Galleries branched off the main tunnel like catacombs, with benches cut into the sides for sleeping. Near Charlie Ridge was Davidson's Ridge, where Nakano deployed some new reinforcements from the 115th Regiment. On August 24th, Nakano told his men, If this line cannot be maintained, the division is to be honorably annihilated. Meanwhile, Colonel McKechnie was tossing patrols past Roosevelt Ridge. On August 16th, I Company, down two-thirds of its strength, basically down to a single platoon level, crept forward to toss grenades at some Japanese around Scout Ridge, while Sergeant Warren unleashed a mortar cover. The Japanese sought revenge that very night, and they performed a dusk-to-dawn attack, but grenades and mortars held them back. It was to be the start of two bitter weeks of such small skirmishes, and the Japanese hunkered down in their foxholes and they guarded Scout Ridge with their lives. On August the 18th, K Company performed a frontal assault against the ridge, but Japanese barricades and machine gun fire kept them back. Three Americans were killed, seven were wounded for their efforts, including a courageous medic who ran right into the fray. The Japanese positions on Scout Ridge were very strong, with lines in depth going back all the way towards Salamawa. Scout Ridge provided the defenders with countless defensive positions along its crest, with four intersecting ridges behind Roosevelt Ridge. On August the 20th, Colonel Davidson ordered his men of the 42nd Battalion to capture what they thought were only two knolls to the north of the battalion's position on Davidson Ridge. The smaller knoll was occupied without opposition, and the other knoll only had slight opposition. However, the next morning, scouts reported there was another feature. They called Bamboo Knoll, about 600 yards further north. Davidson then ordered it captured, and it was with little opposition. Crouching in some kunai grass atop the knoll, the scouts could see Salamawa, and Allied artillery began hitting it. They could not see the airstrip, because another hill was in the way. That hill was Charlie Hill. Davidson's intelligence told them that they had already seized Charlie Hill, because their maps were not quite accurate. 
This caused a lot of headaches for historians going through diaries, trying to piece together the movement of troops. Thought I would just add some frustrating information on their part, and mine. Now to intercept the enemy fleeing from Mount Tambu into the area between Comantium and Davidson's Ridge, Brigadier Monaghan's 29th Brigade were assembled east of Mount Tambu. Meanwhile, Major Wharf was performing an offensive against the junction at Bob Tobi, Comantium, and the bench cut track. Wharf's A platoon, led by Lieutenant John Lewin, had cut off the point at a junction between Bob Tobi and Stevens Track on August the 14th. Wharf planned to toss A and B platoons against the enemy while the 2 and 7th Battalion's D Company took up a further point on the track. At the same time, the 58th 59th Battalion were going to launch a diversionary attack against Erskine Creek. On August the 17th, Wharf's commandos advanced south under artillery and motor support, attacking the enemy along Burali Creek in the Salamau Track. However, the enemy proved too intense to overcome, leading the commando platoons to pull back somewhat. Then the 2 and 7th Company came to the right of A Platoon's position, filling a gap in the center of the enemy line. They exploited the gap and advanced towards the western edge of the main Japanese camp. Lewin's A Company kept prodding the enemy lines until 6.30 p.m. when the Japanese made a vicious counterattack, causing five deaths, including Lieutenant Barry with 11 wounded. By dusk, the Australian attacking force was thrust like a wedge into the enemy positions with Lewin and A Platoon on the left, the 2 and 7th Company in the middle, and B Company on the right. The following day, the Japanese were forced to pull back to the line of the command team track. By August the 19th, the Japanese were being hit quite hard. On their northern lines, they had 23 deaths. The commander of the 80th Battalion, Major Gino, was dead. The command team track was cut by the 17th Brigade at Laver's Knoll. They were withdrawing across the front. Most were now taking up positions further east at Charlie Hill and the Kunai Spar. Brigadier Hammer's 58-59th were able to occupy Erskine Creek and C Company of the 2 and 7th seized Orodubi. The following day, the 2 and 7th Battalion occupied the junction of Bobdubi and the Salamau Track. They captured quite a few forward pillboxes, found the enemy was still holding on to some in the back, so they began raining motor upon them. At dawn on August the 21st, patrols found the Comantium track was abandoned. They could now push further on. On August the 21st, as a result of the enemy giving so much ground, Hammer ordered the men to ford the Francisco River to put more pressure on Salamaua. Lieutenant Henry Mallet's 11th platoon of the 2 and 7th Battalion forded the Francisco River near its south end at Bobdeby Ridge. During the afternoon, a composite platoon led by Lieutenant Owen Edwards advanced further to occupy a dominant hill, which was named Arnold's Crest, named after Ted Arnold, the commander of C Company. Like I said previously in another episode, if you wanted a mountain, ridge, or hill named after you, it seems all you needed to do was fight New Guinea in World War II. By August the 22nd, Hammer's men were occupying Arnold's Crest, giving some covering fire to allow men to cross the river. Once enough men had crossed, they began expanding the perimeter. Then on August the 27th, 420 Japanese from companies of the 115th and 80th Regiments counterattacked Arnold's Crest, successfully cutting off the Allied line of communications to the south. The Australians did not give it up without a fight, however. They quickly launched a counterattack, trying to seize the nearby Fisher's Knoll. The Japanese were forced to give up Fisher's Knoll, but repelled the Allied attacks upon the crest itself. Despite still holding Arnold's crest, the following morning saw the Japanese withdrawing westwards. 
Now it seems Hammer got too excited when he ordered his forces to occupy so many forward positions. Hammer signaled his new divisional commander, General Milford. Unreliable of the 5859 Battalion troops has forced me to withdraw to hold a tighter line around the Burris Creek. Basically, he believed he had overextended the 5859th, who were currently surrounded by a company or so of Japanese. The 5859th were down to less than 30 men or so at this point, carrying many wounded back and sending reports that they were running low on ammunition. However, on the ground, John Buffham's B Company were holding strong, keeping the situation together. Another company commander named Newman went on the record to state, Hammer had weak companies flung out into the blue, where they could not be reinforced or supplied. After all was said and done, upon reflecting on the situation, Hammer would sign off on a recommendation to award John Bootham a military cross, writing, Displaying grit and determination, Lieutenant Bootham tenaciously held the area until shortage of ammunition and supplies forced him to withdraw. The situation forced Hammer to tone down on the aggression somewhat, lest a catastrophe were to occur. He ordered the men to form a defensive line from Rough Hill to Arnold's Crest, while many more of the forces came to prepare for another assault. On August the 21st, the Taylor force had rejoined its regimental force, allowing McKechnie to launch a new attack in force. On August the 27th, A Company advanced along a trail going up George Ridge, successfully cutting off the Japanese supply lines. The men dug in, expecting a lot of angry Japanese counterattacks. Captain George of A Company wrote this of his experience. We began to feel a chill in the stomach. Every rush meant firing a few more clips, throwing a few more grenades. As the dark suddenly quietened, our hands counted blindly the few clips left in our belts, the last grenade or two on our parapets like a thirsty man in the desert checking his last water. For when ammo ran out, they would overwhelm us. Waves of many Japs with long bayonets. Home was a long way off indeed. Our dark waters to Oregon. The fighting fell into hand-to-hand combat from foxhole to foxhole. Men fought and died around George, who knew the position could not be held. The next day, George heard four rifle shots signaling permission for his battered unit to finally withdraw. They fought off ten consecutive counterattacks before tossing in the towel. Not all was lost on the action for George's men, however. So many Japanese were employed for the counterattacks, they had given up a position they held known as Bald Hill. Other companies of the Taylor Force seized the hill as the Japanese retreated to positions at Burger Hill and Egg Knoll. Over to the west, Brigadier Moton's battered 17th Brigade were relieved by Monaghan's men, who took up positions north of Mount Tambu. Davidson's 42nd Battalion occupied Bamboo Knoll after tossing back a ton of Japanese counterattacks. Davidson then tossed some patrols towards Charlie's Hill, which would receive its name after Davidson's given name. The Japanese presence on Charlie Hill was far too strong for smaller units to prod it, so more forces would need to be brought up. Back over to the north, Worf's commandos attempted to overrun the Kunai Spar, a dominant position blocking the way along the Francisco River to Salamaua. On the morning of August the 22nd, B Company of the 5859th crossed the Borali Creek, and one of their patrols advanced north to the Kunai Spur. 
Three simultaneous attacks were directed on the Kunai Spur the following day by Captain Cramp's 2 and 7th Company from the north, Sergeant Tom Potts' 58-59th Platoon from the west, and Lieutenant Russell Matthews' 58-59th Platoon from the east. It was a very steep climb. When Matthews' men finally got atop the spur, they were face-to-face -face with a machine gun nest that nearly took them all out. On August the 25th, the 2 and 7th Platoon managed to outflank the enemy position near the Borali Creek which caused them to perform a counterattack. They failed to take the Kunai Spur, and they were relieved by Lieutenant Colonel Ken Montgomery's 47th Battalion on the 26th. At this point, Monaghan took command, and his first order of business was going to be an assault against Nakano's last line in front of Salamawa. I would like to take this time to remind all of you that this podcast is only made possible through the efforts of kings and generals over at YouTube. Please go subscribe to Kings and Generals over at YouTube and continue to help us produce this content by checking out www.patreon.com slash kingsandgenerals. And hey, don't forget about our sister podcast over at the Age of Conquest, the Fall and Rise of China podcast, written and narrated by me. And if after all that you are still hungry for some more history, why don't you check out my personal channel, the Pacific War Channel over at YouTube. Want something on the weird side? Check out my episode on the Ramri Island Massacre Myth, where apparently... Nearly a thousand Japanese were eaten by saltwater crocodiles, but it's not really true. Also, please go check out my Patreon account over at www.patreon.com slash the Pacific War Channel where I am doing exclusive podcasts. A vote for the next episode actually went up just now, and it looks like my idea to do a piece on Tomoyuki Yamashita is winning. So, check it out. The Allies were cleaning up on New Georgia while continuing their deceptive assault on Salamawa and New Guinea. General Nakano's men were beginning to feel the wall behind their backs as the Allies closed in on Salamawa. But they still did not realize Lei was the actual target all along. <laughs>